Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple podcast. My name is James Johnson and I'm here with my new co-host, Elizabeth Shaby. Elizabeth, how are you today? I'm doing well. I am not Nick, but I'm going to try and do my best. We have lost Nick to busy work of uh, the church. I shouldn't say busy work, but the the, the, the good, important, the important good work of the church. Uh, and so we have taken a little bit of a hiatus uh, as we have uh, tried to figure out what we wanted to do with this podcast uh, in light of losing our most important and wonderful co-host, Nick he's, Houston. He's here with us in spirit. He is here in spirit. But now we're back. And uh, Elizabeth and I are going to dive deep into dialogue uh, and into scripture and into what it means for us to be a Christian in the world today. We are going to begin with what it seems like Northside has been uh, ensorcelled with this summer, which is the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Uh, And so today we are going to discuss... Uh, an overview of uh, the Beatitudes. So in preparation for this conversation, I was reading through the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, and I'm thinking to myself, the way I've always read this and the way that I typically read this is, you know, they're statements. Um, You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And depending on where I am in my spiritual journey in that moment or my emotions or whatever, I sometimes, you know, read it as like, okay, you know, well, I'm not poor in spirit, so I guess I'm not blessed, cool, whatever. Or, you know, you read it as like, all right, yeah, I feel pretty awful right now. You know, I feel poor in spirit. I feel far away from God, so I guess I'm blessed. All right, great. We move on, right? And it's more of a statement. I'm reading more like platitudes more than... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but, you know, in um, hearing, James, you have taught this a couple times, James, and you have your own kind of take on this, and it is more of a call to action um, sort of approach to these Beatitudes. And I love the way that um, you read through them, and it makes it a lot more poignant. And, it, and, and thinking through that, we realize, I realize that everything that Jesus says is a call to action. Like he doesn't just, he doesn't just make a statement just for, you know, you know, oh, here you go, guys. You know, he's never like, well, let me tell you this parable. Now it means absolutely nothing. It's just a great story. I like. So I was wondering if you could go through a little bit and give us your uh, perspective and your insight on the Beatitudes. Well, this is something I've been working on for a few years now and uh, something that we used actually when we did our very first devotional together several years ago now. The the White Album. Uh, The White Album, yes, yes, indeed. Uh, The Disciples' Devotion. And um, I I look at these, I honestly think that the Beatitudes, uh, these first 12 verses in in the Sermon on the Mount, are the actual sermon in the sense of this is what Jesus is is trying to communicate to his disciples uh, as he sits on this mountainside and teaches them. Um, The rest of the sermon is breaking down what how you get to these or how you build a community of people who exhibit what's happening in the Beatitudes. And so I've always, um, not always, but I, I have, I have learned to read them as a seven step process, really. Uh, that's, we love talking about processes and steps and things like that, but easy I think to follow, easy to do, easy to follow, easy to do. Oh, it does. And it breaks down kind mm-hmm. of the, what is it? What is ultimately a very difficult path, you know, a narrow path to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ and to, into being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, but anyway, it's a seven-step process that begins with being poor in spirit uh, in the sense of being poor in self. And that's where, if you look at anywhere where uh, 
anywhere where the, like the initiation, the, the first part of becoming a, a disciple, becoming a believer, becoming a Christian is that you have to deny yourself. Jesus says that later on in Matthew. He says it in some version in all four Gospels. Uh, and Paul says this too, you got to die to self. And so being poor in spirit means to be poor in self. And we'll spend, uh, you know, each week we'll spend some time going through these and, and breaking down a little bit more in depth what they are. But I, I see them as a, a seven-step process, beginning with being poor in self, uh, denying yourself, dying to yourself, and ending with becoming peacemakers, uh, which is in verse 9. And that's the seventh step. So being poor in self leads to those who mourn, leads to those who are meek, leads to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, and finally those who are peacemakers. So that at the end of the day, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ or what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to be a peacemaker. And then you have that eighth beatitude, right? So you got seven steps, which is, by the way, perfect number, right? Perfect number. Uh, seven days of creation, seven days, you know. It's a holy number. It's a holy number. It's a number of perfection. It's a number of completion and maturity uh, in Scripture. And so that makes a lot of sense. But then there's this eighth thing that's hanging out there, right? And almost kind of almost kind of uh, sits out there as, as a imperfection. It sits out there as a, something that kind of... Uh, mutates or or challenges or um, almost um, uh, it kind of almost corrupts or or, or, or it not corrupts but it, it almost like it seeks to corrupt the maturity and completion and of course that eighth uh, beatitude is the response of a violent world mm -hmm. to those who would be peacemakers right which is persecution uh, because of righteousness uh, and you'll you'll notice that it ends with. Uh, in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, which is exactly where we started. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in uh, in Matthew, kingdom of heaven is a is a, a placement for kingdom of God, because they didn't like to use the word God. Uh, the people who were writing, the community who was writing Matthew, very Jewish community, uh, and taking the Lord's name in vain was a very big deal, obviously, one of the Ten Commandments. And so they would, they would put in the word kingdom of heaven, but we should really read it as kingdom of God. Uh, it is, it's the way that the other Gospels talk about it. Tell me a little bit more about what the difference is between those two. Well, uh, I think when we say kingdom of heaven, um, when we say kingdom of heaven, we, we, are, we're, we are want to think that uh, it's, it's a place that's somewhere else. Right, it's a kingdom that is somewhere up in the sky or in some other kind of dimensional plane or Land which far, far right, away. Right, it's where God lives. It's the Great Valley from the Land Before Time. Right, it's this place that's very far, far away. Uh, but you know, even in Matthew, Jesus makes it very clear right here in the Sermon on the Mount that the kingdom of heaven is to be here on earth. Right, be yeah, your Among kingdom us. come here on earth as it is in heaven. Right, mm -hmm. and so in in he's very clear in Matthew, Luke, Mark, all over that the kingdom of God is here and among us and with us and has come and is at hand. It is here on earth and it's, it's placement and we are part of it here right now. Um, so I like to, I like to make that distinction and say, you know, what we're really talking about is a kingdom that has come that is here now. Um, that really resonates with the idea of the, these beatitudes as a process. You know, it's something that is actionable and it's something that we we can engage, we, we must engage, and it's a process that we go through to bring God's kingdom to earth. And I think especially, right. especially poignant good. here at the end, when you were talking about, you know, that, that last one, whoo, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you. But you know what? 
that's terrible and it's awful, but it's going to become a lot easier if we go through the other steps first. That's exactly right. Right? Like we have to go through all these other things, becoming poor in spirit, learning how to mourn, learning how to be meek. And if we can do all that, that is how we truly become peacemakers. We can't just, you know, it's hard to just wake up, you know, and just be like, all right, I'm gonna make peace today. Like we're going to do right now. This, this is a, this is a long process. And, but once we get there, once we learn how to truly be peacemakers, that's when we become persecution. But you know, I'll bet you any money. Um, if you truly have become that peacemaker in your heart, being persecuted is going to be a lot easier to withstand. Absolutely. Um, once you've gotten to that point, right? Because well, it's even even more than that. I think that's right. I think, and one of the reasons why it becomes, I wouldn't say easier. Easy. Easy is a bad word. But, but what gives you the courage to withstand it is that you yeah. have you have a understanding of of why you're being persecuted. Yeah. Right. It's not it's not just random. Uh, you know, evil, a random bad that's happening to mm-hmm. you. It's not random pain. It, it is It is a response of a sinful and violent world of yeah. which we uh, are called out of to become the disciples of Jesus Christ. And and he's talking about this as a community. He's talking this to a, a community of people, right? This is not something that can be done on an individual level. It has to be done on a community level. It's, it's each yeah. of us participate in this process. Yeah. And it's a process that has to be done on a daily basis. Like it's almost as though every day we wake up and start at beatitude number one. Whew. <laughs> I'm exhausted already. Yeah, right. Uh, with the, with the with the encouragement that it does it does get easier. Um, it does get easier the more we practice it, the more we're sanctified. And I, and that word sanctified, I think, is is very important here. Sanctification is something that's huge in our tradition, the Wesleyan tradition. It's huge in, in scriptural witness as well. Uh, it means to be made holy. It means to be set apart for a purpose, for a call. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that, you know, when we talk about the Beatitudes here, you know, if I asked you, Elizabeth, uh, what you think uh, for yourself or for the common Christian, like, what do you think, uh, what do you think the word blessed means? What does it mean to even be blessed? Oh, well, I think in general, we have a connotation of, um, you know, it means I've been given something. It means I, um, uh, you know, we, we use that term like, oh, you know, I'm blessed as a, you know, I, I have the thing that I want. I'm happy. I am, you know, I've been given gifts. I've been, you know, yeah. that, that I think yeah. that's the connotation that we generally have. Um, and I think dangerously sometimes too, in a material sense, I think we, oh, tend, yeah, to, definitely. we tend to see it that way. Hashtag blessed. Right. I mean, we see yeah, it all the time. Exactly. Right. Um, I, I think that's right. I think most of us think of it as a gift, something we've received. It's, it's, uh, 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 you know, God's love or grace being poured out into our hearts. And, and, and surely that is true. Right. And, and people are blessed in that way. But this word blessed here, and Bill talked about this in his sermon on Sunday, you know, it's been translated as happy and, and, and Bill did a great job of explaining why that doesn't work. You know, it's Mm -hmm. it's not happenstance. It's not something that just happens to us. Uh, and it's been translated. I've heard it seen, I've seen it translated as congratulations, uh, to those who are poor in spirit. Right. But the word blessed, if you, if you look up what it actually means and what I think Jesus is trying to get at here is blessed means to be set apart. It means to be called out. It means to be uh, to receive a call. Uh, it's not simply something that's given to you and, and you get to hold on to, right? It's something mm-hmm. that has to be. It, it's something that changes who you are and your vocation and purpose and goal and target in life. Uh, in other words, it's exactly like sanctification. Yeah. This is what sanctification is. So you could translate this as saying something to the effect of holy, 
Mm. are those who are pure in spirit because holy is to be set apart is to be sanctified and that's what sanctification is is making us holy like god is holy that's how chapter five ends by the way uh you know begins with this beatitudes it ends with be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect but that word perfect means to be mature to be complete in other words to be holy um so the translation that i would love to be able to use here you know is is something to the effect of holy are those who are pure in spirit yeah or or sanctified are those who are pure in spirit or being sanctified right um and when we think about it like that it's not you're exactly right it's not a platitude it's not a these are not platitudes these are not just statements that jesus made he's not describing something he is prescribing something uh, he is yeah. calling the disciples to be these things holy yeah. are you right when you are poor in spirit, he's calling them out. He's setting them apart and he's telling them what that means for them. It means that you must be poor in spirit. You must be poor in self. You must be those who mourn and, and those who are meek and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, and, it, and when you start to look at it like that, that's when you get to, you know, that's when he shifts to now you're the salt of the earth. Now you're the light of the world. Now yeah. you're the city on the hill. And everything else that happens in this sermon is, is I think, kind of breaking down and expanding upon what it means to be these different things that he talks about in the Beatitudes. Uh, in the same way that you could say that the the Old Testament law is just breaking down and, and reshaping, uh, not reshaping, breaking down and explaining what it means to follow the Ten Commandments. You could think of the Ten Commandments as being mm-hmm. the law, and then the rest of the laws are commentary on those ten original laws. Mm-hmm. And now you get the same thing here. Jesus is doing the same thing that Moses did. He's going on the top of a mountain. He's teaching his disciples. But rather than receiving words from God to give to the people, he is the word of God, giving the words to the disciples. We're also getting into this in Sunday school uh, in the chapel at 1010 on Sundays um, and getting deeper into what's going on here. And a lot of the conversation that we have here, I think, will be a reflection on, on that as well. Something else that Dr. Bill brought up on Sunday um, goes along with what you were saying is this idea of blessed to be a blessing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I've heard that said in, you know, quippy, flippant ways uh, or as a joke. But it, there's, you know, like Dr. Bill talked about, there is something, you know, real and deep going on there. And, you know, it, it's, it's what you're talking about. Like we are we are set apart. Um, we are called to be holy so that we can then go back into the world and be the salt, right? Yeah. You are not just blessed. It doesn't just stop there. You are blessed. And because of that, you are called, like you're saying, to then go pass that blessing on to other people. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, I think that's important. That, and that goes back to the community piece that you were talking about as well. Um, and I think that I, I would argue that the, the deeper we get into this, the better we get at this practice um, of, being set apart as God's people, we can actually, through that process, we actually become closer as the community of God's That's people. Right. We become closer to one another because sometimes, you know, you say, you know, set apart, God has set you apart. And we kind of get these ideas of, um, you know, being alone or being lonely or, you know, like I've got to do this all or, you know, oh gosh, you know, what about, you know, being with these other people? And it's not that at all. So I think, I think this helps us draw closer to each other as God's children and as the family of God in the church. Yeah, I think that's right. 
um, I watched Encanto for the first time <laughs> recently. Uh, we are actually doing, Bill's going to do a sermon Little series. talk about Bruno, no, no. <laughs> Bill is going to do a sermon series in August on Encanto, um, and we're going to do a lot of fun, like intergenerational family stuff on Sunday mornings. It's going to be, it's going to be a really good time. So we're all, the staff is kind of prepping for that right now and talking about it. Um, so in, in, in order to be prepared for that, I watched, I watched the movie and I actually think there's a lot of these themes mm. in that movie. Yeah. Um, reading through this, I mean, quite literally, you know, they're talking about the house, uh-huh. um, and you know, grandma is, you know, she's kind of got this, she's kind of, um, let me get my words here. What's her name? Abuela. Abuela. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Abuela has gotten to the point where her um, her reality and her narrative is built on the wrong thing, right? She has leaned so hard into this gift, into this idea of perfection, and the idea of you know like oh you know this one daughter is so strong that you know we yeah. can't we can't break her, right? She's you know this is, you know this other daughter is so perfect, you know mm-hmm. everything she does is you know wonderful and it has to be right, and you know Mirabelle not getting the gift that time really like cracked her, obviously you know and she keeps like you hear her say this throughout the movie like well this night has got to be perfect, right. you know we have something to uphold here for the community and you know and she's coming from a great place you know this character has a lot of trauma in her past and she's trying to hold on to this beautiful gift that she's been given because for her it's healing right it's healing that trauma is to carry forth this vision of you know perfection and wonder and you know all the lovely things but it's gone so far to the point where she's not allowing her family to actually be human and be imperfect but but you know, and I think, you know, we actually see her go through these steps, right? You know, through the whole, like, Ooh. you know, um, through the interactions with her granddaughter, you know, the granddaughter finally says, like, I can't, we can't live up to your idea of perfection. What about yeah. And so grandma has to become poor in self. She's got to be humble. Yeah. Right. And, and then she mourns it, oh, right? Definitely. This is this, yeah. she has That's to good. mourn this loss that she, that she has seen and this mourn this idea that her family is not as perfect. This house is not as perfect. You know, this life is not as perfect as she thought. And it doesn't have to be in the same way that she thinks it has to be. Right. And that, that's the beautiful thing, because at the end of the movie, you know, once they, the characters, this family goes through this process, the house gets literally gets torn down. But they realize that there's a better foundation for it to be built on. Yeah. And then suddenly, you know, once we've admitted that we're not all as perfect as we thought we were, you see the outcast um, son coming back into the picture yeah. and, you know, getting to be part of the family again. You see the community coming in and, you know, and these people are at their lowest point. Their house is destroyed but then here's the community right Right. the community then shows up and they help them rebuild the house and there's this beautiful imagery of like the golden you know candlelight the magic Mm -hmm. flowing back out into the community and in the end everyone is stronger for it that's right there's a great line there where um they rebuild the house with the help of the community and um and abuela abuela the the grandmother abuela Abuela. (laughs) uh and she says uh you know it's not perfect and then mary bell says well neither are we and that's a great uh, reminder that, that, you know, a lot of times we get caught up, especially with this verse here in, in 548, Matthew 548, where it says, be perfect, therefore your heavenly father is perfect. Mm. That's really not a great translation. It really should say, be mature as your yeah. heavenly father is mature, be holy, um, be complete, be whole. Uh, when we think about perfect, we think about something, a different kind of perfect that doesn't really apply. What he means here is to be mature. Uh, mature in our faith, our love, in the way that we interact with each other. And that's exactly what happens in that movie is that they have all matured. 
Uh, now, they're not perfect in the sense of what right. we usually think of as perfect, but that's okay. That's not what we're aiming for. Yeah. We're aiming for maturity. We're aiming for completeness, wholeness uh, in the community. And, and a lot, I think, I think I, that's a brilliant move to think about the grandmother, Abuela, uh, kind of going through these steps because that, that's really good. I, I didn't thought about that uh, when I watched that movie. Um, but that's really good. I've just taken so many of your faith in film classes. You know? <laughs> I'm just really You're getting learning. the hang of this. You, you, you got it, figuring it out. If you had to pick like one chunk of scripture that we could keep as a community and we had to get rid of everything else, just that, one. that would never happen, I hope. But if we had to keep just one, I think the Sermon on the Mount would be the one. I wow. think it, I think it has everything that we need and is absolutely essential kind of guidebook to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. But says the guy who's every book of the Bible is his favorite. I uh, know, except for Numbers. Numbers is terrible. But but <laughs> but uh, it, what we see here is Jesus trying to not only to not only to shape the individual disciple, which he is trying to do here, but he's also trying to shape a community of people right. who uh, who trust. Yeah. One another. And that word's not used in the sermon uh, in the way that I'm talking about it, but it, but a, a community of people who can lean on each other, who can be vulnerable, who can mourn with each other, who can be poor in self and all, yeah. and still trust that the community is going to be there to support them and love them and be with them. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's where you get a lot of these, you know, when he when he jumps in here uh, towards uh, the you know in the middle of chapter five here and he starts talking about you know you've heard it said don't don't kill each other but I tell you if you're angry with each other then you've already done it right yeah. you've heard it said don't commit adultery but if you're looking lustfully at you know another person's wife or husband uh, and all these other things these oaths and he talks about divorce as well like what he's saying with those things is like you have to be a community of people who can trust one another and you can't trust yeah. one another if you're angry with each other. Not right. just that you get mad at one another, that's going to happen. But when you hold a grudge, you know, and you right. have deep seated anger or when you're lusting after each other, like yeah. you need to build a community of people who can trust one another so that you can have that city on a hill where, where these things, uh, these virtues being poor in spirit, mourning, all these things can be, you know, inculcated and grown within yeah. the community itself. And it's, it's about, like you're saying, um, acknowledging those things before they become this deep-seated, hidden issue, yes. right? So, you how know, much older would our church be, right? If if we did that, so it's not it's not about like you said, it's not about not being angry. Like we're allowed to get mad, we're allowed to get angry, but if we can step one, practice being poor in spirit, then what does that look like for that anger or whatever that emotion right. is? It's maybe it's lust, it's anger, whatever those sins are that right. we are gonna have. It's taking that and talking to someone about it. It's admitting it. It's yes. confessing it. It's you know dealing with it. It's you know talking to the the person that you have the issue with, talking to someone else, you know, whatever. It's instead of letting that anger become, like you said, a grudge or letting the lust become adultery, whatever it might be. Um, so we can, we have to address those things. And then, and like you said, we become stronger within yeah. the community and with each other and, and within ourselves. You know, and, uh, you know, in, in your movie, Encanto, uh, is exactly about that too. I yeah. mean, you're talking about a community of, of a family there that no longer trusted one another. Right. 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 Uh, and and that's because they had moved into this mindset of scarcity and yep. and you know the grandmother's major problem was that uh, I mean at least one of her problems maybe not her major problem but was that she 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 misunderstood like you were saying like she misunderstood what the blessings and the gifts were for and she was thought it was more about being perfect yeah in the sense of the family casting the right image 
rather than actually being healthy within. Well, I think it's easy to get caught up in these things, and this is why it's important to make this the daily practice. You yeah, know, we don't yeah. just do it once because, you know what, maybe Grandma did do it once and did it right the first time. But, you <laughs> right, know, you right. get we get older and we get caught up in the world, and then suddenly we get down the wrong road, yeah. and we have to keep going back to this. talked about this before in terms of Encanto, but um, uh, you can you can really see the mindset of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the, and the Jewish leadership in, in the grandmother's character who, they all have good intentions. Yeah. Like These are good people and they are trying to be holy. They are really trying to do the right thing. They're not like villains, but because of their mindset, because they don't have uh, the ability to trust or be vulnerable, they don't have the ability, they, they, they're they're so protective of this thing that they think they've been given. So they, they mm-hmm. think that to be set apart is to be the chosen people is to be special and to be and to stay better apart. than, right? And, yeah. to, and to stay apart to, in order to keep that holiness and purity, right? Yeah. Whereas to be set apart is to go back into, right? right. To be set apart in order to be made holy so that you can go can. back into right. and and to and to you know shine the light of, of Christ into the world, the light of God into the world. And, you know, that's exactly when we, you know, and Bill brought this up on Sunday as well. When we first hear this kind of uh, this this understanding of blessing, we hear in Genesis chapter 12 when and we've talked about this so much. But when God calls Abraham, he blesses him and says, you will be a blessing to all the nations. Right. You will be a father of so many that. nations. I will bless you so, so that, that. Right. You can and you be. can really see the understanding of blessing as being called out and being made holy, set apart, sanctified in that in that first blessing that God gives to Abraham. The Pharisees wanted to protect that so much, just like the grandmother in Akanta wanted to protect it so much that she forgot that the that, that this is not for the the community to be or the family to be perfect it's not for israel to be perfect it yeah. is for us to be you know us as the church now as those people of god to be called out in order to go back in mm-hmm. in order to serve and to and to shine the light and love of god into the world um and it takes you know in, in kanto i think is a great example of, of what you're talking about here I, just to go back here this is a great little uh dialogic uh conversation here uh between between the sermon on the mountain and kanto um, the whole point of that, that the house in that movie it becomes a metaphor for, you know, maybe the church or maybe the mm. people of God or, or whatever. Um, but it has to be kind of torn down and rebuilt. And we've talked about, we've talked about the Beatitudes as being that process as well, Not tearing eventual. down ourselves mm-hmm. and rebuilding ourselves into the peacemakers we're supposed to be. That foundation is the key piece. Uh, and it, it so happens that Matthew chapter seven, uh, which is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the very last thing that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is that those who build their house upon the rock, the foundation of the rock, uh, in other words, on the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, which, by the way, should be in the Apostles' Creed that we say every Sunday. And that still kind of irritates me that they're not uh, <laughs> the teachings of Jesus, the words of Jesus that are the word of God. That's our foundation. Everything else is shifting sand, right? Everything else is is not a good foundation, regardless of how beautiful the house is. Yeah. Um, and that's what they learn. That's what they learn in the movie. That's what we need right. to learn as disciples of Jesus Christ. Because we want to withstand the storm, right? That's that's the thing, right? Isn't that? Because there's going to be storms, there's man. Gonna be there, storms. There's going to be weather, right? <laughs> they going to be weather. And if we if we don't have the right foundation, uh, gonna... there's no house that can. There's no house strong enough to to withstand. Or magical uh, enough. Or magical enough, right? 
another piece that um, I'll throw in here real quick as we as we kind of wind down our conversation today, our introduction to what we're going to be doing this summer, um, is we talk about this being a this seven step process of the Beatitudes being a daily. Uh, kind of a daily practice that has to be engaged Should in. Should make it like a weekly practice? Yeah, sure. Why not? One day a week? <laughs> One day a week. Yep. Uh, yeah. You become a peacemaker on the Sabbath. That actually that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. All right. Sorry. I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, but, uh, you know, another part of the of the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to get to as we continue to connect the dots here between the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer, right? And and I I happen to think that the Lord's Prayer is directly parallel to and connected with the Beatitudes. And so this prayer, if, if you pray this prayer every day, the Lord's Prayer that is given to us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, everything in the Beatitudes is already built within that prayer. So praying that prayer and and truly praying it and meditating on it and thinking it and, and believing it uh, and then living it out, like that prayer helps us to do the process of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. That sounds like the perfect cliffhanger for next week's episode. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Tune in next week. To come back for the Lord's <laughs> Prayer and the Beatitudes. All right. Well, this is a great, great uh, opening conversation. Do you have anything you want to add to anything? Any final thoughts? We should talk about Bruno. <laughs> Let's talk about Bruno. Thank you guys for joining us. And uh, we will be continuing this conversation throughout the summer. We'll do an episode a week. Uh, hope to have those out on Monday. Uh, this one will be going out a little bit later than Monday, uh, but every Monday uh, we'll drop a new episode, uh, and it'll be it'll be uh, uh, diving into one of the Beatitudes, uh, the one that was preached that Sunday, and, and a reflection for the week ahead. Um, thank you guys for joining us, and we'll uh, be with you next week. We'll be with you next week.